that. All right, 1 John chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. And let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll get into the text. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, and we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, this morning, as we look at what we will all face one day, we will all stand before your throne, and we will all either be judged by the cross of Calvary, having been forgiven, or we will be judged on our own. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that eternity hangs in the balance. No one's here by chance, all here by divine appointment. It's not enough to hope that you're saved. It's not enough to believe that Jesus exists, but we need to have a relationship with you, Lord. Not just to know about you, but to know you. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that God would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know the verses are thick, and we're only going to look at two verses this morning. I planned on seven verses. I got to 41 pages of notes at two verses, so we're doing two verses. So this book is written, this letter is written by John the Apostle. He was one of the sons of thunder. Peter, James, and John were the three that were closest to the Lord. They were the, Peter, uh, John was the one who uh, was called by, referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He was the one who, uh, again, was with the Lord when he prayed in the garden, you know, because Jesus had the, the, 70, the crowd to 70 to 12 and the three, and the three that were closest to him were Peter, James, and John. And so John was also there again on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus revealed in his heavenly glorified state. Uh, he was the last one to be at the cross when Jesus even said, John, behold your mother, and wanted him to take care of his earthly mother, Mary. Um, and so John had, at this point, as he's writing this letter, the church is about 50 years old, and more than likely, all the other apostles have already been martyred. So as John is writing this, he's the guy on this planet who knew Jesus best. And then he hears this false teaching about the Lord from people that never met him. And he writes this letter to correct them all. And again, we know the Holy Spirit wrote it using John's hand, but John had firsthand experience, relationship with Jesus Christ, and we see here his response. And so he was mainly addressing false teaching and mainly a group called the Gnostics. And we know that the Gnostics had two extremes, and they're kind of what's going on in the world today. Some of the Gnostics believed as long as, you know, that the spirit and the flesh were separate from each other, and as long as the spirit was saved, the flesh can do anything it wants. And there's a lot of Christians like that. Oh, I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, I gave my life to Jesus, but yet if we walked around and videotaped your life, you look just like the world. And you know what, guys, that's not okay, amen? Now, we are saved by grace, and it's grace that saves us, but again, a grace that doesn't change you is a grace that cannot save you. Amen? Because if we're new creations in Christ, we should be different. We're born again. We're dead to the person we used to be. And so if you walked in out and you prayed a prayer uh, and you got your get out of hell free card in your wallet and you think you can go live like, well, that was the Gnostic. So you would love to be a Gnostic. And the funny thing about Gnostic, Gnostic just means knowledge. 
That's why an agnostic means without knowledge, which means I don't know. It always cracks me up that agnostics are so arrogant when they tell you they're agnostic, when they're telling you, I don't know. So also translate ignoramus too, but just saying. <laughs> but here's the thing. We have, they had the Gnostics that taught, believe in the Lord, in your spirit, and you can live however you want. She's going to correct that. But then there was the opposite extreme. There was those some among the Gnostics that were monistic. What do we mean to say? They harmed themselves to show their love for God. Because the flesh was, again, in their mind, it was evil. So they would torment the flesh to show their love for the Lord. Again, we don't torment ourselves. Jesus was tormented for us. Amen? He paid the price on the cross. It is finished. And so we have today people who are cheap grace. Well, I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I'm under grace, man. I can do whatever I want. I'm under grace. I've had people tell me that. Well, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but I'm under grace. Yeah, I'm continuing to struggle with drugs and alcohol, but I'm under grace. Yeah, I got a foul mouth still, but I'm under grace. Again, a grace that doesn't change you is a grace that will not save you. Amen? Amen. Then the other extreme is legalism where somehow you've got to be perfect. You've got to keep everything or you're not going to heaven. And there's this mentality that you can lose your salvation. And there's this one group that people keep sending me messages. And this guy literally did a 45 minute message on why having a beard was a sin and you're going to hell if you have a beard. And I'm like, well, first of all, half the room's like, dude, really? (laughs) The crazy part is Jesus had a beard. But the point I'm making is people will look for stuff. Dancing will take you to hell. I grew up in a Baptist church where we, my dad was the pastor and they believe pool tables are from the devil because they're in bars. So you couldn't have a pool table. And they believe that playing cards, my dad got in trouble because my sister and I, during a business meeting, were sitting in the back pew. They were having a meeting up front playing go fish. And they said that cards were from the devil because people use them to gamble and they called my dad out. So we have a world where you got people that are super legalistic and say, you've got to be perfect to be saved. By the way, that's impossible. Amen? And then you've got people on the other extreme that say, as long as you've given your life to the Lord, as long as you prayed that prayer, that's a a magic potion over your life, and now you can live however you want. So he's addressing that and been addressing that in the book of first, this letter of 1 John. And we saw in the last couple of weeks, if you were here last week, He's addressing that counterfeit gospel, and he's pointing them back to Jesus. And if you heard last week, I talked about the principles for true fellowship with God. We have to come to, to, to grips with the true nature of God. Belief is reflected in our behavior and recognizing our sin and our desperate need for him. And we talked about how we can deal with our sin. We can ignore it, hope it goes away. We can make excuses for it. We can act like it doesn't exist, or we can repent. And everybody in this room is a sinner. If you didn't know that, by the way, I was invited here by a friend. Now I've been told I'm a sinner. Yeah, you're a sinner, just like the rest of us. Amen? Amen. How many sinners we got? Raise your hand. Hands on up. You're a liar on top of being a sinner. Amen? (laughs) So we are sinners, all in desperate need of a Savior. And this morning's text is a text that is, like I said, it's two verses And it's going to be a head-on collision for all of us. I pray that you be attentive as you've ever been in church. Because I want you to hear what we will all face. We know the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And he's writing this letter to these people with this false gospel. 
And again, we love these people, but you got the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the, and, you know, the, the Muslims and you know, uh, Scientology and all these other religions, if you will, who are putting their faith in a man-made gospel that isn't true and contradicts the Word of God. And the Word of God is the truth. Amen? And by the way, I said it in our opening prayer, praise God for our Supreme Court. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. People going on my Facebook and people texting me, you know, hope you got what you want. Now they're going to go back to unsafe abortions. Every abortion was unsafe because babies got killed every time. They don't like it when you respond that way, by the way. So I tell the message, grab your outline, order in the court, oddly enough. Order in the court. And, and I, we, we will all stand before a righteous judge. Now we'll talk about this in a moment. Because Christians don't really grasp and understand how that really works, but we're going to talk about that. If you've ever wondered about that, when, when, you know, if you're a believer, will you be there at the great white throne judgment? Will you have to stand before the Lord and be judged? We'll talk about that. Truth is that your judgment came at the cross. Amen? Amen? And then we'll also see that no one will escape God's judgment for sin. See, either Jesus paid it for you, or you will pay for it yourself, because no sin goes unpaid for. See, if we have one sin in heaven, we've got earth part two. It was one sin in the garden that brought death. Do you know that nothing died before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? Do you know that they had intimate fellowship with God and they walked with him in the cool of the day and they could just talk directly to him? To me, that's a picture of what heaven's going to be like, right? No sin, intimate fellowship with God. So God kind of have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. Amen? Amen? So we all just raise our hands. We all say, well, we're sinners, but God can't have one sin in heaven. And by the way, we all, we've all got a lot more than one sin. We've got a bunch of zeros after that number. Amen. That's the reality. And so God can't have one sin in heaven. Then there's an issue. That sin must be dealt with for us to enter into the presence of our father. So no one will escape God's judgment again for the believer that came at the cross, for unbelievers that will come at the great white throne judgment. And we're going to see the court. Let me give you the players in the court. Here it is. God the Father is the judge. Jesus is the defense attorney, for those of us who know him. Satan is the prosecutor, the accuser of the brethren. Amen? And Jesus is also the benefactor. He's going to be the one that for those, by the way, you want Jesus to be your defense attorney because he wins every time. <laughs> Amen. He's 5 billion and oh. Amen. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? So either you will stand there on judgment day and have to make an account for yourself or you let Jesus do it for you. And then when the, the sentence is passed, and the fine in the worldly terms is $10 billion. And you look in your pocket and you got 45 cents. You can't pay the price. We're sinners, judged, found wanting. Jesus steps up, says, he's with me. And Jesus pays the price for you. So either Jesus pays the price for you or you pay the price for yourself. And there's only two options. Amen. We're all guilty, but we can be redeemed and forgiven, or we can 
again, seek to defend ourselves. So first we have a divine defense attorney. He's our intercessor, our advocate. He pleads our case uh, based upon his death on the cross. Will you stand alone guilty before Almighty God or will you let him represent you? By the way, every other defense attorney tries to prove you didn't do it. This defense attorney says, he did all of it. She did it all. By the way, there's even more. Doesn't pretend like we're not guilty because we are. Amen? Amen. But in our guilt, he's going to say, yes, he's guilty. Yes, she's guilty. There's no discussion there. But the difference is now when it comes to paying the price, I will pay it for them. You know what? Jesus says, follow me because I died for you. You know, Muhammad said, follow me or I will kill you. He was the prophet of the sword. You get a lot of converts when you go to people's houses and put a sword at their throat and say, convert or die. A lot of people convert. But you know what? He said, follow me or I'll kill you. All the, some of them say, follow me and I'll make you God of your own planet, say the Mormons. Follow me and I'll, I'll make you greater than you are. And Jesus said, come and follow me. Deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Why? Because he died for us. He paid the price so that we might have eternal life. Guys, we should be jumping up and down about the fact that we have an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God who loved us so much he'd rather die than live without us. He knows us best and he loves us most and he was willing to pay for it knowing all the sin, past, present, and future. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He's adopted us into his family. He's written our name in the Lamb's book of life and we can trust in the fact that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. Amen. Amen. All of a sudden, seven bucks a gallon ain't that bad. We're going to heaven. Amen. We have a divine defense attorney. And point number two, we have a divine benefactor. He's a surrogate, a substitute, the scapegoat. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. Will you let him pay the price for your sin? He paid the price and full at the cross. He said, it is finished. When he died on the cross, tetalistai, last words, it is finished. That word is also paid in full. When someone owed a debt and they would stamp it paid in full, they stamped it tetalistai. When somebody was, had finished a sentence and they were set free, they would put tetalistai. Guys, we were found guilty. We were sentenced to eternity. He stamps it paid in full. It is finished. It's been paid for and praise God for that. Amen paid the price at the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We have the promise of heaven. Or will you pay for it yourself? My prayer is that nobody in here will, but no doubt there's a few that might. The Bible says, a broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrows the path that leads to righteousness. And if you're here and you think you could just go to church and be a good person, or as long as you believe that there's a God, you're going to be okay. Well, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. So believing there is a God Okay, praise God. That's a step in the right direction. But it's not knowing about him, it's knowing him. I always use this illustration. I know a lot about Michael Jordan. He was number 23, played for the Bulls. He tried to play baseball for a while and didn't do very well. You know, he's low, you know, the greatest basketball player of all time. He's worth billions of dollars. But if I get in an elevator with Michael Jordan, he has no idea who I am. And some of you know a lot about God. You know, you know about Jesus. You know that he was born in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he wrote a best-selling book that everybody still reads, amen? <laughs> that he went to the cross of Calvary, that he rose from the dead. 
We know that we, we sign our checks 2,022 years in the year of our Lord since Jesus came. He never traveled more than 50 miles, and he's the most talked about man who ever lived. He's the king of kings. Now, you may know those things about him, but do you know him? See, I know about Michael Jordan, but he doesn't know me. You might know about Jesus, but do you know him? Does he know you? Does he have a relationship with you? It's not enough to be religious. We need to give our life to Jesus. Amen? Hell is real. Man, told me I'm a sinner. Now he's talking about hell. <laughs> Came in the wrong week. I'm having tacos next week. I should have come next week. Here's the reality. <laughs> Do you know the Bible talks more about hell than it does heaven? And you know why it does? Because the Lord doesn't want anyone to go there. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. And hell is not, you know, highway to hell. Not so much. And hell is not, I'm gonna, if there is a hell, man, I'll, I'll be shaking friends with all my, hands, hands with all my friends down there. We'll be partying. No, you won't. You'll be alone. You'll be separated from God, separated from all humanity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, paying for your sin for all eternity. And some will say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why would a loving God send people to hell? God sends no one to hell. He desires that all would go to heaven, and we only go to hell if we run over the cross of Calvary and we reject Jesus Christ and tell him over and over and over again we want nothing to do with him. People have said, well, I'm a good man. I should be able to get in. Well, there's none righteous, no, not one. And one of my one illustration I love is if you went to the richest house in America, somebody owns a $20 million house, and you just went up and knocked on their front door and said, I'm moving in because I'm a good man. Dude, I don't know you. Get off my lawn. Amen. And especially if this is somebody who's, who you've rejected over and over, wanting nothing to do with. Guys, we will not go to heaven because we're good, because there's none righteous. But again, salvation is offered universally. Nobody has to go to hell. Everybody who chooses to go to hell chooses to run over the cross of Calvary to get there. So salvation is offered universally. It's going to be offered this morning. But it must be accepted individually. Mom and dad can't accept it for you. Going to church won't accept it for you. Being a good person won't accept it for you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And it's only confessing your sin and surrendering your life to Jesus. It's the only way we get into heaven. So let's begin there. We thought, think, begin? I thought we were done with all that, right? <laughs> if you've never taught through the Bible, one of the things that happens is the person who studies it for 30 hours, it's, it's flowing out of you before you even start. And the person that gets the most out of it, that's why I encourage you to get involved and, and teach. Why? Because we're, the Lord knew that I needed to be a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 30 to 50 hours a week. And you know what? It's accountability and the word of God is true. And when you spend time in it, it just pours out of you. So let's begin there in verse two, in chapter two, verse one, order in the court, we're all going to stand before a righteous judge, answer for our sin. We have a divine defense attorney. Will you let him represent you? Again, either you will stand before God guilty or the Lord will stand in your place. Notice how he starts. My little children. He's changing the tone. The verse right before it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if we're saying, there's some of those Gnostics that thought they were perfect and holy and didn't sin anymore. And he said, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Then he says, my little children. Through an extremely exhortive letter written from a heart of love and tender affection, this aged apostle and pastor writes from the heart 
of a spiritual father. The word my little children can also be translated my dear children or my little darlings. So while he was bringing a heavy word to them, he also had a deep love for them. When I was raising our children, one of the things I would do when I would discipline them, or and I still do it now even when I counsel people, is I always say to my kids, I'd get on my knee and I'd say to, to one of my, it's usually one of my boys, not so much my daughter, but I'd get on my knee and say, son, do you know that daddy loves you? And he'd say, yeah, daddy, you love me. But he's already scared because he knows what's coming, right? The wooden spoon, right? Or the, the board of education, right? And, and I'm saying, son, you know that I love you. Yeah. Do you believe daddy would die for you? Yeah, daddy, you would die for me. Do you believe daddy wants the best for you? Daddy, I know you want the best for me. So because of that and what you did to your brother, you know, the board of education applied to the seat of learning. Amen? But the point is that this is the heart of the apostle John. John brings this heavy message because he's burdened that people are wandering away from the truth to follow after a false gospel that he knows that will lead them to hell and separate it from the Lord. And here's the reality. We're afraid to use the word hell in public. We're afraid of offending people. But here's the reality. We have the antidote to the death serum of sin. And the answer is Jesus, and we must not keep it to ourselves. People need the Lord. Amen? How can we keep it to ourselves? But here, here's the heart. But we can love people and we can lovingly share the truth with them. And he says, my, my little darlings, it is so much easier to receive words of encouragement, exhortation, and even rebuke when it comes from a heart of love. And I want to say this, that as Christians, whether it's in person or on social media, remember that the, the great commission is, and the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people. Amen. And our prayer should be, let me see people through your eyes. Remember the next time you're mad at somebody on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or whatever these other things are. The next time you're upset with them, remember Jesus died for them. He loves them so much, he'd rather die than live without them. And God has put us into their life and given us an opportunity. And you know what? We can win arguments and lose people. I'd rather lose arguments and win people. Amen? People need Jesus. And so he comes with that heart. He's about to share some heavy words with them, and he calls them, my little darlings, my dear children, be ready for what I'm about to share with you. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, but his discipline is not from a heart of, of uh, anger or wrath, out of control anger or wrath. I used to say the wrath of God had a definition for it. It is a consistent and holy reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and will of God. Let me say that one more time. The wrath of God, this is a definition I wrote myself, it's a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and will of God. So God's wrath is not flying off the handle and breaking dishes and throwing stuff. When the wrath of God is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to his nature and his will. Because God loves us and he knows things contrary to his will will destroy us. And because he loves us, he brings his wrath to draw us back into himself. Amen. Now, there is a day coming in the book of Revelation where after all opportunities for salvation have been exhausted for the most part, that God's holy wrath is going to be poured out on an unloving, ungodly... Can you believe how upset people are that they can't kill babies anymore? And they're so fired up and they're taking our freedoms away. I'm going to take away your freedom to kill children all the time. Amen? 
And there's this mentality. And you know what? It's so godless. It's so bitter. It's so satanic. Amen? Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came to be mine of life and life more abundant. Jesus is about life and Satan is about death. Amen? And so here we are. And this is the world we live in. And we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. And the way that their lives are going to be transformed is introduce them to Jesus. Because you're not going to win an argument on abortion, but if they come to know the Lord, they won't want to kill their babies anymore. Amen? A loving father must discipline his children, but his love is evident even in his discipline. And John's exhibiting this father's heart of love, even as he exhorts these believers in the church. I love my little darlings. I love that. Not you stiff-necked, faithless dimwits. It's not what he says. <laughs> you faithless dimwits, you idiots. I mean, how's that working? And sometimes that's how people who call themselves Christians address other people. And again, they don't know the Lord. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Dogs bark. Unbelievers act like unbelievers. Amen? Amen. So we need to love them. Therefore, the grace of God is every one of us. Amen? Amen. And so he's a loving God. Again, doesn't address them in in that kind of a way, but my own dear children. So what words of wisdom and encouragement and exhortation follow these precious words of endearment? My little children, my little darlings, my precious ones. What does he say next? Look at the rest of the verse. He says, these things... I write to you so that you may not what? So that you may not sin. Here we have the balance to 1 John 9. Now, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's been referred to as the Christian bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9. You know, and people, I'll talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, I've been 1 John 1, 9 and all day today. I really blew it. 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9. And yes, we should confess our sins, but confession without change doesn't count. Amen? Amen. I told you the story that it was a guy in my office, and it was actually his girlfriend who was, uh, he was, he was sleeping with his girlfriend, and he would have to take her every morning on the way to work to confession so she could confess for sleeping with him the night before. Then he'd go pick her up the next night, and they'd do the same thing. And he said, I take her to confession 365 days a year. I said, here's an idea. Marry her. Amen? Repent. Get right with God. Because that's not repentance when you confess on Monday knowing you're going to do it again Monday night. Amen? So I write to you that you may not sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Amen? But temptation, especially in the light of Gnostic teaching, the flesh is, you know, so evil. So just party hardy, dude. I walked and I prayed a prayer. And here's Satan's biggest lie. He does this to all of us. Whisper in your ear, God forgave you, you can do it. It's okay. God will forgive you, he always does. So you can just go do it anyway. And then you can ask God to forgive you later. By the way, if you truly repent, God will forgive you, but sin has consequences. Amen? Amen. Even though we can be forgiven, our sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. If you're out committing adultery, you can end up with an unwanted pregnancy, and the person might want to kill the baby that was produced from your ungodly behavior. Amen? You may get a venereal disease. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your ability to do... See, the enemy is a liar. And when he tempts you, he will tempt you with what your weakness is. 
I told you, he won't tempt me with lima beans. I, he can put them in my driveway, leave them there for 10 years. I won't care. I don't like them, amen? He would tempt me with tri-tip or something else, right? But the point is, the enemy knows your weakness, and he will tempt you with that. If your struggle is drugs and alcohol, he'll tempt you with that. If it's pornography, he'll tempt you with that. If it's pride, he'll tempt you with that. If it's gossip, he'll tempt you with that. If it's covetousness, he'll tempt you with that. Whatever that thing is, he's going to draw you away with that. He knows what your weakness is. And when you succumb to it, the enemy knows in the moment he's won. He's drawn you away from the Lord. There's broken fellowship. Now, the good news is, if you've done that, and we've all done that, we've all succumbed to temptation. Temptation, by the way, it's not just an opportunity to fail, it's an opportunity to grow. Because when you're tempted, when you resist the devil, what does the Bible say? He what? He flees. So when he comes and says, here, Dave, you know, eat this, try to, whatever. Here's the temptation. And if I say no and I resist him, he leaves. And now I grow. Amen? But when, by the way, when you take it, though, your flesh is never satisfied. Amen? So Satan will always try to draw you into the thing that he knows will tempt you, and he always questions the word of God. What did he say to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? Did God really say? And that's what he'll tell you. Well, you know, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and so, yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but hey, man, this is, you know, this is a 2022, man. It's a new world. Same sinful, disgusting stuff. Noah, the days of Noah, the sin, is that's, what, that's where we're going to end up before it's over. And God wiped out the face of the earth because they continued to live in open rebellion against him. Now, we serve a loving, gracious, and merciful God who desires that none should sin, no, not one. But we ne- grace is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? And he's saying, look, I'm writing to you so you will not sin. Because if you say, well, if sinful, if the if forgiveness for sinful behavior is easy, then let's just go out and sin and live a fleshly pleasure-driven life and just make sure that we throw a little prayer at the end of it and we'll be all right. Let me just say this. If you can live in open sinful rebellion and not be convicted, you need to get saved. Because when you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to being in you. And when he's in you and you go out and live in sinful behavior, you are convicted. Conviction is sign of conversion. Amen? Praise God for Holy Spirit conviction. Can I get an amen to that? When he convicts me, he's a down payment on heaven, it says in Ephesians 1. He's the, he's the, uh, you know, the earnest money that you're going to heaven if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you're taking him with you into the bar. You're taking him with you into, uh, you know, the fornication. You're taking him with you into the stealing or the, or the gossip or whatever it is that you struggle with and you take him with you. And when you take him with you, he's not going to stand idly by and not give you the Holy Spirit head slap. Amen. Not bring conviction to draw you back unto him self. We must not cheapen God's grace. Shall we continue in, this, in, in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. There's a fly up here that just loves me for some reason. <laughs> the ease of access should not be seen as a license to sin. On the contrary, such access should produ- produce intimate fellowship with God. See, the veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross. Prior to that, only on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, could the high priest go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies? Only that one day a year. And everybody else stood in the outside and he got to go in. And then he would come out. 
And so the closest they got is somebody else went for them. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. And now you and I can enter into his presence anywhere and anytime. We can talk to Almighty God while we're driving down the freeway. We can enter into his presence anywhere and anytime, but don't take the ease of coming into his presence as something that allows us then to live such a sinful life. Well, I can just walk right up and tell him I'm sorry. It's okay. You know what that ease of of going into his presence should do? Produce an intimate relationship between you and God. The fact that he's there, the fact that he never leaves you, The fact that he is so close and so accessible should make us have a deeper relationship with him than ever. Amen? Amen. And sadly, people look at that as an opportunity or a license to sin because I can just go tell him I'm sorry later. The more we love him, the closer we walk to him, the more we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more it convicts us and grips us when we sin. Amen? Amen? There are some people in this room that are having physical intimacy with somebody they're not married and you need to knock it off in Jesus' name. Amen? There are people that are waiting till their whole family's asleep and they're looking at pornography and you need to stop it in Jesus' name. Amen? You're cheating on your wife or the wife you're going to have someday if you're not married yet. Amen? And, and women do it too. Some of you are doing things that are illegal. Some of you are... are, are uh, being, being extremely prideful and promoting yourself, making it all about you. That needs to stop. Point is this. See, God doesn't tell us these things are wrong because he wants to keep you from having fun. He wants to take it away from you because he knows it will harm you. The same reason I wouldn't let one of my, my four-year-old grandson play in the freeway. Why? Because I love my grandson. And he'll be mad at me if I jerk him by his arm and put him in his room and lock the door so he doesn't play in the freeway because he thinks it's fun because he doesn't know better. And some of us are playing in the freeway because we think it's fun and we think we know better and the truck is coming if we don't get right with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Way the transgressor's hard. We truly know him. We truly love him. If we're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, we will not take sin lightly. You know what grips me the most when I sin? That I, that I, harm my, that I hurt my Savior. That I, I chose to do contrary to what he knows is best for me. For I've told him no and I've walked in the other direction. It grips my heart every time. And as believers, the closer we get to the Lord, the short amount of time it should be between when we sin and when we confess. He says, so that you may not sin. Another point being made here is that born-again, spirit-filled believers, uh, do we have to sin? What's the answer? Do we have to? No, but do we? Yeah. Now, as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. By the way, it's nice and warm in here. This is like the North Pole compared to hell, so we don't want to go there. Can I get an amen? Amen? The point is here is he's saying, look, we don't have to sin. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever noticed when you're tempted to sin and you've seen the way of escape like neon signs? Anybody besides me? You're getting ready to say something or do something. You're getting ready to say something that you know is going to be funny, but it's not really Christ-like and it's going to hurt this person, but it's funny, so you're about to say it. And then someone will keep interrupting you so you don't say it. 
Way of escape, thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Years ago, I had a buddy I had not talked to in like 10 years, and God put on my heart to call him. I picked up the phone and called him, and he answers the phone. And he goes, Pastor Dave. I go, hey, bro, how's it going? He goes, just a minute. I'll call you right back. He hangs up the phone. He calls me back in 10 minutes. He goes, bro, when you called me, I was standing at the counter of a hotel with my coworker about to commit adultery, and Pastor Dave calls me on the phone. And he goes, why did you? I said, the Holy Spirit, bro. It's got nothing to do with me. Amen. Amen. But God makes a way of escape. That every time we're tempted, devil can't make you do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong. Amen. Amen. Devil made me do it. Devil can't make you do anything. (laughs) But he can certainly attract you and try to draw you away. We don't have to succumb to temptation. Every time it comes, God gives us a way of escape. The Holy Spirit within us gives us the ability to walk away. Amen? Amen. And again, when we do, it's an opportunity not just to fall, but to grow. The Bible tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin. Let me read this to you. You can read it later. It's in Romans chapter 6, 11 to 14. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should, be, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. As being alive from the dead, as members, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. While we, were, while we, that we know that we will never be sinless in our behavior, as the Gnostics claimed, 1 John 1.10 said, If we say that we have not sinned, we have made him a liar, and his word is not in us. As born-again spirit-filled Christians... We have been empowered by God to walk away from every temptation. Just remember that when you're tempted. Who are you going to listen to? The Holy Spirit who's drawing you away from it or the enemy who's drawing you into it? Satan is a father of lies and he lies to you all day long. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, when you tell the truth, you're being Christ-like. When you tell a lie, you're being Satan-like. Amen? So as believers, when we're drawn away, be mindful of that. And again, Will God forgive us if we're truly repentant? What's the answer? But isn't it always better not to do it to begin with? Isn't it always better to not have the consequences or the the harm that, that can come to our relationship with the Lord? Spiritual maturity is reflected by obedient behavior and greater sensitivity to sin. Then he says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he tells us that we don't have to sin, but he says, and if anyone does, knowing that we will, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Following his exhortation to not sin, to move away from ungodly behavior, to not cheapen God's incredible grace, to pursue holiness, he then gives us the picture of what happens when we fail to make the, take the way of escape, when we do not respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction, when we sin. Notice he says, if, still pointing to our sinful behavior as a choice. Now we do sin, but we're not forced to sin. In dealing with our sin, John now describes this heavenly courtroom. Here it is. We're walking. By the way, aren't aren't court things really popular on TV? A whole bunch of people watched two Hollywood people that were fighting over money for like, it was on every channel and everybody's watching and everybody's taking sides and everybody's whipped up about it. 
I'm like, read your Bible instead. Amen. <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, you got more court shows. If you, by the way, daytime television is from the devil pretty much, right? But, you know, when you're flipping through there, I mean, it's court, you know, Judge Judy, Judge Joe, Judge so-and-so, Judge, 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 Judge. And there's all this stuff, and everybody wants to divorce court, and this court, and that court, and this court, and you know, custody court. And, and everybody's watching. Guys, people are enamored with, with the whole judgment thing, the whole court thing. This is the one they should be enamored with. This is the one that matters. This is the one that will determine, uh, determine your eternity. Again, Court TV, Law and Order, Judge Judy, Divorce Court TV shows and movies dealing with crime and trials hold people spellbound entire. There's a court TV network. And most of us can probably recall where we were when OJ was convicted. That was 30 years ago or something, right? But these, this first picture is a more important courtroom. And here's what it is. Everyone's going to enter this courtroom. And here's going to be God the Father on his throne. Here's Jesus, the advocate for those of us who know him. Here's the accuser, Satan, making accusations against you and pointing out all of your sin. And when we stand before the Lord, when we stand before Almighty God, we either stand on our own or we stand with Jesus. And he lets him know here, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ. Again, we're going to enter that room, but will you enter alone? If anyone sins in the Greek, the grammar conveys a strong possibility of the actual occurrence. John's expression could be phrased, if anyone sins, and you know that you will. And anyone, the context is in my little children. It's in reference to true believers. So literally, to miss the mark is what sin is. There's a bullseye. The example is Jesus. We all fall short. And the distance between where the arrow lands and where the bullseye is is called the sin distance. So whether we miss by a, an inch or a million miles, we're all sinners. And none of us have missed by an inch. We've been way off. We haven't hit the dartboard. We're not even on the wall where, the, where, the, where it is. So God's holiness sets the standard for our behavior. And every one of us has missed the supreme benchmark. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you aren't sure that you're a sinner. Let me go through a few of the Ten Commandments just to make sure you don't leave here with that doubt still in your mind. The Bible says you shall have no other gods before you. If you ever had anything in your life that you've made more important than God for even five minutes, raise your hand. Shall worship no graven image. Well, I've never had an idol. Some of you go out and wax them in your driveway. Amen? Some of them is in your closet. Ladies, your shoes, whatever, right? <laughs> handbags. There you go. So we have, these, we, have these, we have these idols. We have these things that we can make more important than the Lord. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And here's the reality. You don't have to say GD, but if we use Jesus's name in any way other than as a form of worship or to tell others about him or to praise his name, that's using his name in vain. Amen? I had, a, I had a coworker who sat right next to me, and she would say Jesus 150 times a day. She'd be doing her work, go, Jesus, 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 like that. And I'm like, good to hear your prayer life's going, getting better. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. 
Because obviously you're not cursing his name because that would damn you to hell for eternity. I know you don't want that. <laughs> Pastor Dave. Amen. How many of you have ever used his name even slightly off what it's meant for? We can keep going through the list. Honor your mother. How many of you honored your parents your entire life? Never disrespect them, never disobeyed them, ever in your life. Anybody raise your hand. And if your parents are here, they'll call you out because you're lying. Amen? (laughs) Thou shalt not lie. You know that a half truth is a whole lie. Amen? Amen? If you exaggerate, if you leave people not knowing the true facts, that's still a lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? I shall not covet thy neighbor's possession. We go down the whole list. So it's very clear we're all sinners. So we got a sin problem. So now what? Only way one, anyone could ever begin to believe they haven't sinned is if they're using the wrong standard for holiness. I'm no Osama bin Laden. I'm no Adolf Hitler. They always set the bar real high, don't they, Right? But guys, how are you doing compared to Jesus? Because he's the only standard that matters. God doesn't grade on the curve, he grades at the cross. You don't compare yourself to other people, you compare yourself to the Lord and all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Amen? Amen? You have the wrong standard. It's not how we compare to other sinners, but how we compare to the perfect holy God. And okay, I'm not good, but I'm not a sinner. That's pretty harsh. Well, we just let you know, and you've all confirmed it, that we're all sinners. Amen? Amen. By the way, how many murders does it take to be a murderer? How many sins does it take to be a sinner? There you go. So you're going to stand before Almighty God one day, a sinner. And here's the reality. If you look at anyone's life and you take the amount of times that we've sinned, you've all just confessed to me that you're, and by the way, well, the one I didn't do, I haven't committed adultery. The Bible says if you've ever lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. That takes care of the most of us. Amen. So you go down the list and you could say, well, I'm an adultering, fornicating, lying uh, thief who dishonors God and curses his name. How's that going to work out on judgment day before him? If you stood before a judge with a million crimes, where are you going? Jail, and, and in God's case, to eternal jail, amen, and it's called hell, amen? So back to the courtroom. We have an advocate with the Father. We're advocate there. Believe it or not, it's parakletos. Where do we know that word from, Bible students? The Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's the one who is our advocate. He's the one who comes alongside of us. And it speaks here of Jesus being our Holy Spirit, our advocate. We've seen this term used by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit as another comforter because Jesus is the first comforter. The Holy Spirit is another comforter. The first comforter is Jesus. Amen? This term also has another use that a defense attorney, one who pleads your case before a judge, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our advocate here on the, ear, in, here on the earth with us. But Jesus never stopped being our advocate either because what's he doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating, praying, but advocate for us. Amen? So the Holy Spirit is our advocator here. And Jesus is our advocator in heaven. And praise God. And if you don't know the Lord, you don't have either advocator. Amen? You're on your own, both in heaven and on earth. So God the Father is sitting in the place of the judge. Our defense attorney is Jesus. 
sitting by our side, the prosecuting attorney who accuses us before the judge is Satan. It says in Revelation 12 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Satan just stands by God all day talking about you and your failure. Remember, consider my servant Job. You remember that? And then Satan come, well, he wouldn't do that if you took some stuff away from him, and right? And you know what? I, I, I you know, look at that pastor right there. He's a pastor of a church, and look what he just said. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. He hates you. By the way, if you're singing songs about hell, knock it off. Amen? ACDC, come on, stop it. Stop it. Hell's bells, highway to hell, right? All this stuff. And people sing that. I had a pastor friend of mine that had ACDC on in his car. We were driving to lunch. I said, are you, are you like, is, it, is there a hidden camera in here? Are you gagging me right now? Are you really listening to that? <laughs> Music was created to worship the Lord. Let's worship him. Now you're being a legalistic. Okay. I, I just, I don't want to worship the one who wants to kill my family. I don't want to praise his name. Amen. Amen. He accuses us, but but Jesus stands up to defend you. See, we don't have to deal with Satan because Jesus deals with him for us. And by the way, Satan is toast compared to Jesus. He's not the opposite of Jesus. He's not close to Jesus. He's opposite of maybe Michael, the archangel. He's a created being battling with the creator of all things. And our God is greater and he wins every time. Can I get an amen to that? So we put our faith in him. While most, if not all, human defense attorneys, again, defend their clients by proclaiming their innocence, our advocate, our divine defense, our attorney does no such thing. He admits our guilt. Come before the judge or stand there. Yeah, he's guilty. 11 million crimes right there. If you count our sins, it might be more than that. Can I get an amen? But here's the difference. Our defense attorney just wants a check, he leaves, and you go off to jail. Jesus is our advocate, and he's going to step up and say, he's guilty, but I paid for that on the cross, and he's forgiven, and his debt has been wiped clean. I took all of his sin upon myself at the cross of Calvary, and he's forgiven. So the Father sees us through the shed blood of the Son, and he sees us holy. Amen? Amen. Now, Lest I confuse you, we will not be at the great white throne judgment. And the reason we won't be is our sin was actually taken care of at the cross. Amen? Amen. Now, there will be a Bema seat judgment that takes place later. And there, we as Christians will be judged on how faithful we were with the gifts God that has given us and how we've used them for his glory. Not just how we've used them, but the motive for why we used them. It says that all of our, our, our works will be, you know, basically set on fire. And that which is done for our own motivation to have people look at us or to be recognized by men will all burn up. The rest of it will be made into crowns that we will be given by the Lord that I believe we will all give right back to him. Amen? Now, I'm sharing this point because the judgment is real. And the great white throne judgment is real. But the good news is because Jesus is our advocate, he already took care of it before we even got there. Amen? Notice it says, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He alone is qualified to present our case before the Father because he alone is righteous. He alone can openly come before the Father on his own merit. He doesn't argue uh, our innocence, but admits our guilt. 
So he's our advocate who stands up to answer the charges. He's completely guilty, Your Honor. In fact, he's even done more worse things than you're even being charged of. And the, the gavel slams and the judge says, what should the sentence be? And our, our advocate answers, the sentence shall be death. He deserves the full wrath of the righteous court. And along our accuser, Satan, is there having a fun time with this. And we're guilty. We admit our guilt. We see our punishment. But then our advocate asks to approach the bench. He draws close to the judge and he simply says, dad, this one belongs to me. Dad, he's mine. She's mine. He's with me. She's with me. Guys, when you stand before God on judgment day, are you with Jesus? Are you going to be standing on your own? Guys, that's heavy stuff, huh? Our accuser starts going crazy. Aren't you even going to punish him? The judge shouts, the penalty has already been paid by my son. Amen? Amen. We're accounted righteous not because of what we've done or who we are. We're deserving of the full wrath of God, but we were accounted righteous because of our relationship with Jesus who took all of our sin upon himself. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, for he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is on your side. If God is for you, who can be against you? You plus God is a majority. Amen? Amen. We can take the grief from the world because we have the Lord standing by our side. When the devil condemns you, brings accusations against you, send him to your defense attorney and let him take care of it. Amen? Amen? We don't address the devil. It's foolish to even attempt to defend ourselves. Our attorney has never lost. Let's read verse two as we close. As he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only ours... Not ours only, but also for the whole world. The word propitiation means to pay a payment in full. The old covenant, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled and the sins of people were taken care of was called a propitiary. It was a place where the wrath was satisfied, where the price was paid, but it was never paid in full. It was always pointing to the one who would come and pay the price for us. So back in the courtroom, Jesus, not only our divine defense attorney, takes our case, approaches the Father, but he paid our fine. See, he's our beneficiary. He's the one that comes and pays the price that we could not pay. We've got 47 cents. He pays the price. Jesus alone could pay for it. Jesus alone did pay for it. And salvation only comes through him. Notice it says here, he died for who? The whole what? whole world. There are people that will teach you that he only died for some. And they will say that if you say that Jesus died for you, you have to say, if you're one of the elect, then Jesus died for you. Well, that contradicts the word of God in that verse right there because Jesus desires that none should perish, no, not one, and he died for the whole world. And salvation is offered universally to everybody, but it must be accepted individually if we are to be saved. Not only ours only, but for the whole world. He didn't just die for some, but he died for all. His death on the cross satisfied God's wrath for all the sins of all mankind. His blood is enough to redeem us all, but as we know, not all will be saved. You know what? My heart breaks. I've been praying all week, and I, my heart is heavy. There are no doubts in people in here that don't know the Lord, and I pray you don't leave here without him. I truly, you know that in Luke 16, as we close with this, Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man has everything in the world, and then he dies, and Lazarus is a beggar at his gate, and he dies, and now they're both in eternity, and this is when, before Jesus had gone to the cross, so, so Lazarus is in paradise. He's in the place of, in the presence of God, waiting to go into heaven, and the rich man is in torment, and he's looking across, and he's in, he's in hellfire, and he's burning, and he said, can he get a, a drip of water and come put it on my tongue, please? 
And the Lord says, he can't come from you. That, that gulf in the middle is, is sin. And so we're in paradise. He's in paradise. He's not. And what does the rich man say? Go back and tell my family. Can you go back and tell my, I don't want my family to come here. You know what that tells me? That tells me that people in hell remember their life on earth. It also tells me they remember every opportunity they had to give their life to Jesus Christ, and they said no. They shook their fist at God. They put their hand up and said they wanted no part of him. I know it's going to sound heavy-handed. I don't care. I'll be as heavy-handed as I want. I'm going to see people saved. Can I get amen to that? I don't want you spending eternity in hell remembering June 26, 2022, when you were given an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ, and you said no. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't be convinced by men. Be drawn by the Holy Spirit. He desires that none should perish. No, not one. Nobody is beyond salvation. Could Hitler get saved? What's the answer? Yes, he could. What about Charles Manson? Osama bin Laden? Some of you say, well, no, no, no. How about Saul of Tarsus? Came the apostle Paul. If you're here and you think you're too sinful to be saved, you need to know that that there's nobody so bad that they can't be saved, and there's no one so good that they don't need to be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, and I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation, that we would not leave here without you. Again, we're all here by divine appointment, and we know that your word is true, and your Holy Spirit has brought conviction. For those of us who know you, we've been convicted, Lord, that we should not make excuses for our sin. We shouldn't just succumb to temptation so easily that we should recognize that even though we're forgiven, that sin's still a big deal. May we take it seriously. For those who are here that don't know you, Lord, as your Holy Spirit has ministered to their hearts, I pray they would not be convinced by the words of men. That means nothing. But that the Holy Spirit would draw them unto yourself. So if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess me before men... I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you have not surrendered your life to the Lord, if you've not recognized, yes, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven, and I'm ready to surrender my life to him, not just to make him Savior, but the Lord of my life. If that's your desire, I'm going to give you a chance to confess that right now by just raising your hand right where you are. Anybody here at all, don't leave here without him. The Lord loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Don't worry about what other people think. You're doing this before the Lord. Anybody at all, don't leave here without the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We pray. We long for the day when we will see you face to face. And Lord, may we never lose sight of what a blessing it is that you're our advocate, that you intercede on our behalf, that you love us so much you'd rather die than live without us. Help us to be unashamed of you. Lord, you, you hung on a cross in shame for us. May we not keep quiet when the divine appointment comes. May we not be silent when someone curses your name. But Lord, may we bring glory and honor to you always. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.